From the Zimmerman Symphony Center in Canton, Ohio, this is Orchestrating Change. I'm Matthew Jenkins Yaroshevitz, Associate Conductor of the Canton Symphony Orchestra. And I'm Rachel Hegemeyer, Manager of Education and Community Engagement. Welcome to our podcast, and thank you for joining us. This podcast will navigate the issues that exist in the field of classical music and the world at large. We invite you to listen with open ears as our guests share their experience as underrepresented professionals in the music industry. This week, we are joined by Jeff Talbert, Superintendent of Canton City Schools. He has previously served as superintendent of Alliance City Schools, also here in Stark County, in addition to positions with the Cleveland Heights University Heights and Osnaburg local school districts. Before that, he was the principal at McKinley High School, right next door to us here at the Zimmerman Symphony Center. He has also been a classroom teacher and football coach, having played the sport during his four years at Muskingum College. Jeff is a Canton native and proud alumnus of the district he now leads. Jeff Talbert, welcome to Orchestrating Change. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here today. <laughs> yeah, we're so excited to talk uh, to you today. So just starting right off, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what inspired you to pursue a career in education? Well, as, as you mentioned earlier, I was born and raised here in um, Canton, Ohio, um, and and didn't set out to go into education. Um, you know, when I was a young, young man, of course, you wanted to, to follow your dream to be an athlete, or I remember wanting to be a corporate lawyer. Um, but after I got into, into to college, um, I started to realize the role that a group of dedicated educators paid on my life, um, and, and decided that, you know what, I wanted to give back. Um, I, I was blessed with two parents who knew they wanted me to to get an education, um, to get a college degree, um, but neither one of them had the opportunity to go past um, eighth grade. Mm. And, and so they, they knew to push me to study hard and get good grades, but when it came to getting to that next level, they didn't know how to do that. And, and I was able to do that um, simply because there were dedicated teachers at Timken High School who went above and beyond to help me navigate that process. Mm -hmm. and, and once I got to college, it was a no brainer. I realized that I wanted to be that person for the next set of kids growing up um, in, the, in the city of Canton. So that's, that's kind of what inspired me to, to do what I do today. Absolutely. So you started out in the classroom, of course, but eventually you transitioned to the administrative side where you've been for quite some time. Tell us about that transition. Well, it, it's it's amazing how quick the time has gone. Um, but I, I started off in the classroom, um, really enjoyed the time that I spent working with kids, um, coaching them, um, and working in the classroom. Again, trying to make that impact. And and then one day, a mentor of mine, um, the superintendent of Osnaburg Local, Mel Leoy, brought me in and said, Jeff, he goes, she goes, I can tell that you're in this for the right reason. You want to help kids. And I said, I do. And she goes, you know, in your position, you're going to have the kids that you're working with in your class, and then the, the 60 or so boys you're working with on the field, um, how would you like to impact all 1,000 students of this district? Mm. And, I'm like, and I said, well, how do you do that? She goes, you do that by going into administration. Mm -hmm. and, and so she, she kind of pushed me into an expiring administration program. 
Um, and I really was drawn into that field. Um, the similarities to, to coaching and leading a group of people were, were very attractive to me. Um, th that's where I feel I, I, I get my inspiration and my energy from leading a group of people and helping them perform to the best of their abilities. And, and so I went into that. And shortly after that, I received my first opportunity to be a middle school assistant principal um, in the Woodridge local schools. Mm. Yeah, it's so fun. I will maybe get to this, but you the analogies between sports and music are very similar. The language you use about performing, getting a group of people for the same goal. I just think it's very interesting. <laughs> Absolutely. And not only that, I, I had a friend of mine once who uh, is a professional cellist who told me, there's really nothing else like being a professional musician other than being a professional athlete. You do what you do the same thing over and over from a young age. You kick a soccer ball, you hit a baseball, you play the cello from a young age and just practice, practice, practice yeah. until you get to the highest and, level. And you being a coach is kind of like you being a conductor of leading the group of people. And go. I just think it's really trying to, fun. Trying, trying to get that group of people to, to act in unison mm -hmm. um, and to understand that it's their, it's their role, that they have an individual role to play, but it's not about their individual role. It's about how that individual role fits into the entire piece. Yep, and absolutely. So it's very, very, very similar. Yeah. Um, and, it's, and it's the same thing that I do as superintendent yeah. of, of trying to get, we call it getting all arrows aligned and heading in the same direction. Yeah. Um, then you, sure and you've worked for a lot of different school districts with very different uh, challenges and unique perspectives that they each bring. So can you tell us a little bit about all the different districts that you have worked in and the unique challenges that they each had to face? So this is, I'm, I've been in three districts in Stark County, um, Kansas City Schools, Plain Local Schools, and Osnberg Local. Uh, so I've, I've worked as a teacher, um, in the largest school district, um, Kansas City, I've worked at a teacher in Plain, which is more was a, of a suburban district. And then I've worked as a teacher in a rural district in the smallest school district um, in, in the county. Mm -hmm. um, I've been an administrator in, in the smallest and now back in the, in the largest as an administrator. Um, I've worked in the inner ring suburb as a principal in Maple Heights and as an assistant superintendent in Cleveland Heights. Mm -hmm. uh, so inner ring suburb of Cleveland. And, and I've worked in, in Peninsula and in, in Woodridge local schools. Um, so I've had the opportunity to, to see just about every environment in education that you can possibly see. Um, had the opportunity to learn from, from great administrators and great teachers in all those different types of districts, which, which again, allows me to be able to adapt to several situations that I've seen in my chair as superintendent. Mm -hmm. and, and I really appreciate all the folks that I've worked with and all those different experiences I've had in my life. I've been pretty blessed to, to have those, those, those opportunities and to have those opportunities by choice, not because <laughs> someone was forcing me to go to different places. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So this is a big question for you. We have a constant conversation about the state of public education across the country. What, are, what is your view of the current state of the public education system at all levels, national, state, and local? Well, I think, I think we're at a really, I think we're at a tough crossroad um, right now in, in public education. Um, there's the, there's the, the, the one road that is where we were headed before the pandemic, and then 
now where we are because the pandemic has kind of forced us to take a different path. Mm -hmm. and, and I'm real interested to see where um, we come up policy-wise after we get on the other side of this mm -hmm. pandemic. But where we were headed in the pandemic, for me, I, I don't believe is a particularly a good place. Um, I, I think that education for the sake of accountability has gotten into the place where we're creating one type of education for one group of kids and another type of education for another group of kids. Um, if you, for some reason in your life, whether it's because of poverty, because of um, something else that you faced with trauma in your life are starting from a different point than, than than where the state says people should typically start, mm -hmm. um, then you receive a different type of education. Mm -hmm. You are tested and drilled and skilled and, and killed until you can get a specific, a specific score on a specific test at any given time. Mm -hmm. And and that changes, um, you know, that changes the things that you're exposed to. Um, I like to call it like in, in schools where, where the districts aren't receiving great scores, the district kind of has to shift its way to chasing threes, which is proficient on the test, instead of working to prepare kids for life, college, and careers. And, and so, you know, you go into school districts where they're meeting the state standards, they're, they're teaching kids robotics, and they're teaching um, kids employability skills, and they're able to work on that. But the other school districts are, I've got to get you a three so I can get you out of school and get you a diploma. Mm -hmm. And that looks a little different than than the other place and and so we're not against i'm not against accountability but i i think we need to look at how we judge that um nowhere in life you know i, I use this example of swimming um when you go to the y and you look at a swim class if a kid walks in two kids walk walk in and and one's four and another one is eight and neither one of them has been in the pool we're, we're going to start them at the beginning class, right? Everybody starts at tab holes or minnows. Mm -hmm. You don't just say, well, nope, you're nine. You need to go jump in five foot of water, whether you swam or not. Yeah. Like that's, that's not what we do. But, but in education, that's what we do. It doesn't matter if you've never seen a book at the age of eight, you are expected to be here when you're nine. Right. And if you're not, you're titled as a failure. And, and it, it's about the journey. And that's what we're about in the Kansas City Schools. We're going to be about the journey. Yeah. We're going to take you from where you start. But when you walk across the stage, we're going to make sure you're ready for life, college, and careers. And, and, and so that's, that's my fear. Um, right now in the pandemic, people have kind of come together. We've put some of that on pause. And we understand that we have to be about taking care of one another and that that's going to be a different plan for each individual district. And people are celebrating those differences. And it's okay. Yeah. Um, and, and, and if we can move on from there and continue that way, that would be great. Um, but what I've seen in my 20 plus years in education, that's not going to happen. We have to find a way to put schools up against one another and we have to have winners and losers. Mm -hmm. And so we're going to hopefully and, and, and I, I guess into not to our benefit revert back. And I hope we don't. But mm -hmm. that's what I've seen during my time. Yeah. And 
I, I love all of what you just said, and I think it's really important for people to hear because I feel like a lot of the general public doesn't really understand how the public education system works. Um, and that includes all the different facets of where the policies come from, the curriculum, the test scores you have to meet, all of these different nuanced things that school districts have to do. And a big part of the education system, the public education system in America is funding and how schools are funded. And could you, for our audience members who don't maybe know how public education is funded, could you explain how that works and how it impacts the different schools differently? So, so the major part of Ohio's funding, and this is the part they're going back and forth about, is property taxes and your community's ability to, to build or collect revenue through the values of their property. Mm -hmm. Then um, each school receives per pupil funding based on, on what they're able as a community to provide for, I guess, to meet the gap. So the state kind of meets that gap from what you're able to do as a community. The state comes in and kind of meets that um, based on a per pupil expenditure. Now, there's a formula that the state has to do that. Um, the current formula, 80% of the districts aren't on it. Um, you're either on, you're either capped, right? or you're on a, a, a minimum amount of money, you're on a guarantee, they call it. Mm -hmm. And so the argument we're having right now is like, we gotta create a formula that actually works, right? Because mm -hmm. the formula currently doesn't work. You're either, hey, the formula brings you too much money, like Canton City Schools, Canton City Schools, because of our number of kids in poverty, um, the number we have identified with special needs, the ability of our district, the low ability of our district to actually fund our schools from our property taxes, we would get in a formula way more money than we actually get. So they say you're capped, mm. right? So we're not getting the amount of money that we should get to educate our kids. Mm. Because if they gave us all the money we, we need, then there wouldn't be enough money to support the other schools. And those other schools, the formula says for them that you should receive less money than you get. And those schools are, of course are upset by that because that was a change. So then, okay, well, you're on a guarantee not to get less than what you got way back some time ago. And, and so we all know that that plan doesn't work and they're working on a fair funding plan, a balanced formula that will work, but we're gonna have to agree on that because that's gonna cost billions of dollars more than what we're paying in education right now. Yeah. And, and some folks don't, don't agree with that. Um, so, but what happens in a, a district like Kansas City, 80% of the money we receive comes from the state of Ohio. So, so what we use to operate as a school district, um, again, 80% of it comes from ODE. The other amount comes from our local tax dollars. And, and, and what happens for us and what is definitely hurting us right now is that after we get that 80% and we, um, of our, we spend 80% of our total funding on people. So mm -hmm. after we pay our people, there's 20% of our revenue left. Um, that 18% of that 20% is spent on paying tuition at charter schools and non-pubs. Oh gosh. Right? So, so that's what we have left to operate with. Really? But so when you hear us say, we have to downsize, we have to right size, we have to cut programming. It, it's because we, we, only, we only have so many dollars, right? Wow. And our dollars are tied directly to what the state says. So if the governor says we're going to hold education funding flat while everything else in life goes up, 
then then we have to shrink our budget a little bit. Um, if the governor says, hey, we're going to cut education by 3%, um, that's the lion's share of where our revenue comes from. Yeah. And, and so we can't go out and tax our way out of this. In other districts, they will say, oh, we're losing yeah. money from the state. Let's put a let's put a tax, a levy on. And eventually it'll go down maybe a couple of years, but eventually they'll get it. Um, and we've been fortunate. Our community have supported our yeah. levies, mm -hmm. but we would have to put a number on so large when it comes to millage that people will say, oh, there's no way yeah. um, we're going to give you that. And, and so we, it's better off for us to to kind of right size our district, be fiscally responsible, um, live within our means and provide a first class education. And, and that's the restructuring plan that we're working on right now, mm -hmm. right in the middle of is designed to do all that so that when families make a choice in this community, that choice is us, which will kind of help the, the, the money that we're hemorrhaging out to, to non-pubs and to charters. Wow. Absolutely. So you alluded to this already, but Canton City Schools is one of the poorest districts in the state and even comparatively in the country as well. Tell us about the challenges that come with educating a population that in many cases their basic needs such as food and shelter sometimes aren't being properly met. Right. It means that that that's the first thing we have to take care of. Um, like you, um, you, you're not worried about um, two plus two equals four if if you don't have food and, and, you're, and you're worried about you know being hungry. Um, if you know that you're not going to go home to you don't know where you're going to go home, um, and and or your home isn't safe, and so kids bring that to school. They don't drop that at at the door when they come in, mm -hmm. um, and so we and, and our staff do a really good job of taking each kid daily, understanding the, the, some of the things they're faced with, and then going above and beyond to, to meet the needs of our kids. Um, we, we, we do everything from making sure they get a, a hot breakfast in the morning to a lunch to even sometimes dinner. Um, we, we try to provide transportation whenever we can provide transportation. Um, right now in the pandemic, we provide everyone with a device, but we also provide 40% of our students with um, um, broadband internet service mm. that they can take home and, and use so that they're able to connect. Um, we, we do laundry. We have facilities in our buildings where students can do laundry and we're looking at ways to, to, to do that. Um, there's, there's nothing that we don't do to make sure that we can remove barriers so that kids can come to school, feel safe and to learn. And, and that has to be our, our number one priority. Um, the, the, kids, the kids can do it. Um, there's no doubt they have the same capabilities as other students. Um, we just have to understand that there may be something else um, on their mind. Um, you know, older kids are also responsible for little brothers and sisters. And, and so they're, they're, they might spend time doing that. We have students that have to work and, and because they have to chip in to support their family. And, and so we have to look at that and, 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 and understand that that could be something that's getting in the way of them participating in a normal school day. And, and so I think that what we've learned through this pandemic, we've learned to be flexible. Um, we've learned that our, that our students um, all live a different type of life, especially those older kids. We've got students who are working all day at, at Amazon and then logging on at night to, to work um, on their schoolwork. Um, we've got kids that are that are working late nights at, at Walmart 
um, and, and logging on late afternoon to do their work. And, and so we've discovered all these things and these things aren't just happening because of the pandemic. These are things that our students have been doing. And so when we see kids are missing from school and they have high attendance rate, it's not because they don't value education, it's because they have other things right now that may be pressing in their life. And so we have to be flexible to say, hey, we know what you're going through. We're gonna kind of make this education fit your lifestyle because we know that this is gonna help you in the future, reach your dreams and your goals. Yeah. And we know that the cycle of poverty in America is almost impossible to break. Um, and education is such a key part just because of the way our society is set up with how you get employed and the skill sets that are needed. Um, but it's not necessarily college always is the thing, you know, college is the thing that it's like, you have to go to college to get a job. You have to all do this, but education at any level and preparedness just for life is really what it sounds like you all are focusing at Canton city schools. So what can you tell our audience about, um, the ways that you are preparing students to try and break that cycle of poverty and giving them the tool set so that they can stay in this community and make it an even better place for the future? Well, I think, I think the biggest thing we do, one, is our, our career tech um, program and, and, and trying to get kids um, trained in a skill so that they can go out and get a high paying job when they leave. Also, giving our kids the opportunity, especially our, our, our high school kids, the opportunity to take college credit while they're in school so that they can receive the support um, from us um college is a really is a hard thing to adjust to for some folks it's a different world and so leaving high school and going straight to college and being on your own um sometimes is we're setting kids up to fail so allowing them to do some of that and learn how to to navigate the college scene while they're in school um helps them um, we have a program that's called early college um, it's one of few early college programs in, in the state of Ohio. Mm -hmm. And we every year we have a group of kids who graduate with both a high school diploma and an associate's degree. Yeah. Um, and, and, and that's a great plan. They graduate with both. They, they are well on their way to getting a four-year degree if that's something they would like. Um, the, the, the degree is through Stark State. So some of them have already moved pretty close to getting a, a credential, a certificate that they can use to, to gain employment. And, and so there, we have to continue to do things like that. And then the next thing we need to do is we need to continue to help kids make connections. Mm -hmm. um, as a kid growing up, my father used to say that sometimes son, it's not what you know, it's who you know. Yeah. And, and so when you, when you think about kids coming up, growing up and we say, you gotta pull yourself up by your bootstraps. And, and it's like, well, that's nice of you to say, but what do you say to the person who doesn't have boots? And, and so when we look at our kids, and, and we say that some of our kids don't have the, the, the connections that they need so that they can take their education and go to the next step. And so that's when, uh, you know, you can have a, a, a bachelor's degree in something, but if you're not able to get inside the door, mm -hmm. then you're not going to use that bachelor's degree. And, and so that's the kind of the next phase we have to do. And there's some great things going on in Stark County. Mm -hmm. um, and, and with the, the chamber and strengthening Stark and other groups mm -hmm. that are really looking at how can we get into the city, create mentors for these students so that the, that our students have the opportunity to meet people who can support them and give them advice and open doors for them. Yeah. Because that's, that's the difference. 
Um, and, and I think as, as our community becomes more polarized and becomes little, you know, I live in Canton, that's where I stay. And I live in <laughs> North Canton and I don't go down to Canton. And I live in, in Maslin and I don't go to Canton. Like the kids, even though they're connected through social media, um, that's, that's not the real world. They don't get to go see where you live every day and meet your parents and do those things. And that's, and I think back during my days that, that that's how a lot of doors opened for, for me. It was through people that I've met through other people and had that opportunity to interact with. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so we have to do that as well. We have to make sure that our kids are able to develop the network that will allow them to take the tools and the skills that we're giving them to apply them somewhere. Right. My brother has a great saying. It's not about the grades you make. It's the hands you shake. <laughs> and that's it. That's the, a true story. The That's a true story. Longer I live, the more I realize that <laughs> yep. in music or whatever business you may be in, just how true Connections. it is. So this is, of course, a podcast produced by the Canton Symphony Orchestra. So let's talk a little bit about music for a bit. Uh, a lot of studies show that music programs in schools help kids succeed in other areas as well. Uh, Stark County has some wonderful music programs. Uh, We have the privilege of working with the students in our youth symphony program. But across the board, in many, many places, music programs are being cut due to lack of funding. How do we make sure that our arts programs are being properly supported? Well, one, I think it's imperative that leaders see the value um, in in those programs that, that people continue to to advocate for for arts programs and for the funding, um, and and even you know as leader of the of the Kansas City School District in the time where we are reducing, we are trying to make sure we build those opportunities. Um, when when my kid was when my one of my boys was going going to school, we went to an orientation for for middle school, and I heard a band director say, um, "If you do, says how many of you guys want your students to." to be on the honor roll. Everybody in the room raised their hand. And the guy said, how many of your students want your child to be in National Honor Society? And everybody raised their hand. And he said, how do you, how many of you want your kid to be in the top 10% and to go on and receive academic scholarships? They raised their hand. Then I want you to know that you should probably put them in band. And yep. then he started to talk about how successful all the kids are in band. And and I don't believe that that's, some, that that's just a coincidence. I think that the the discipline that it takes to play and, and to play an instrument, to be successful with playing an instrument, the amount of practice time um, is something that you're able to apply to other areas of your life. And it's like we talked about earlier with athletics, um, the discipline that it takes to get up every morning and to do a practice routine or to, to, to follow the training regimen that you have to train to be a, a, a high performing athlete transcends into other parts of your life that you just can't turn it off. Mm-hmm. And, and so ath- athletics um, aren't things that people aren't all attracted to being athletes. Um, there are some folks who are interested in the arts and they're interested in music. And so if we're able to find a way to, to pique your interest, um, whether it's visual arts, performing arts, and vocal music, instrumental music, then as a school district, we have to do that. We know that kids are connected to school in some way do better. Mm-hmm. And so we want to, as, as, and, and even go young as we possibly can, find a way to connect to the interests of the student. And that's why I believe music is so important. 
yeah. um, and, and to have. And that's why we're looking to expand it in the Kansas City School. Mm-hmm. And on this podcast, we've talked a lot and we were about the pipeline of, of students, specifically um, students of color, into orchestras because we see a lack of diversity in orchestras. And a lot of this starts at the very beginning um, in in because uh, unfortunately in America, school districts that experience more poverty also tend to be more students of color because um, that's just the reality of, of uh, America right now. But what are the challenges that urban school districts face specifically Um, And you've touched on this a little bit, but trying to get these robust arts programs so that these students of color can succeed later in life and pursue music if that's what they want to choose to pursue. There's there's a few, I think, roadblocks in the way. One, of course, is just, you know, because of poverty, there's the funding and the, the availability of resources um, that that's a, a hurdle that we have to to overcome and, and finding a way to get instruments in the hands of the students. Another thing that you have to overcome is allotting the time mm-hmm. and being able to allot the time in the day um, so the students can get that training um, because it's even more, dif- it's difficult for them to get it after school and before school. So trying to find that time during the day and in the district has to make it a priority to give them that time um, and, and finding a way to get quality instructors and in the facility who understand that, um, you know, you're, you're not going to have um, Beethoven on the first day, right? And, and you're, gonna have to, you're gonna have to work with these kids and they're not gonna be able to go home and have hours of practice time. And so they might take them a little longer to get to where, and it's about exposure. And I think that's the second one, exposure. Exposing our kids to something different. Um, you only know what you know, you know what you see, and, and so music is a big part of all of our students' lives. Um, but our students have a particular ear because of what they see. Um, you know, as a former DJ, um, I've, I listen to all sorts of music. Um, and, and so I've had to play all sorts of music. You know, I, I was on a, um, in, in college, the station was a rock and a classic rock station. Um, even though I had a show where I, I was allowed to play rap music for two hours a week, um, <laughs> back in the, in the early nineties. Um, but, <laughs> but it's, but I had to learn to play country, country music and, and to have some classical music for, for dinner music. And so I had to, I was able to develop a ear for music that I necessarily, that I don't listen to, that that's not the music that I listen to on, on, on a regular basis but I can appreciate other forms of, of music and other genres. And, and so we have to find a way to expose our kids um, to other genres and to other instruments and to see that, you know, there's, there's more than a guitar, there's more than a drum, um, you know, th- that, that there's more than a piano and an organ because for a lot of our kids, that's what they grow up seeing in church. Yeah. Um, they'll see a drum, they'll see a guitar, they'll see an organ, they'll see a, a piano. And sometimes that's what they want to play, but to give them that exposure to a violin and, and how cool a violin can be. In my prior district, we brought in a violinist and his name is slipping my mind, but he came every year and he had electric violins. And, <laughs> and, and I mean, he was um, amazing. And the amount of people who came out and the amount of young students who left that auditorium that night wanting to pick up a violin, um, it grew every year. 
um, and it allowed that our that district to have a, a great um, orchestra program. And so it's creating opportunities like that for kids at a young age for them to see that, hey, here's here's an instrument that you might not have seen before. And, and here's how cool that instrument can be. Um, there was something that was done with the symphony um, and, and I brought my daughter to it and she thought it was the greatest thing. It was when gospel meets the symphony mm-hmm. it was done at Umstead Hall. Um, I, I, my daughter got to go to that and, and it really spurred her on to, 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 to having a, a musical career and seeing that there could be something different. I think there's opportunities like that where we can bring our kids and they can see that, you know what, that, that there's other instruments in there they're used to. There's other types of music that they're used to. And, and, it, and it's all um, pretty cool. And, and once we do that and, and, and they see that there's other things out there, we'll have kids who will gravitate to that. Mm-hmm. So you, of course, as we've mentioned, you are not a classical musician yourself, but what is your relationship to the classical music community and what are your views on the orchestral world currently? Well, way back when, um, a long, long time ago, I played the violin for a second. <laughs> um, and, and, and so, you know, again, I, I appreciate the skills that, that it takes to go in, in, into that. Um, I've never been um, a, a, or consider myself a musician, but I appreciate it. Um, and, and so my, my, I guess my, my ties are more into knowing that, um, it's a way for us to create opportunities for students. And, and I know that, that we have students in our school who that is their, that's what interests them and that's what motivates them. And, and, and I, I believe our job is to create pathways for students to be successful. And so we want to create all the pathways. And so whether you are a writer, whether you are a, a again, a musician, a, a whether you're going to write music, whether you're going to play music, um, whether you are in the construction trade, um, whether you are a, a speaker, um, you know, you have a great speaking voice and you love the debate, whether you're an athlete, right? Um, whether you just don't know, you know, there's kids <laughs> who I just don't know what I want to do. Yeah. We want to make sure that, that the Canton City School District has a place for you mm-hmm. to build on the skills that you have or the interests that you have so you can be whatever you wanna be. And, and I, I felt that the school district that I went to many, many moons ago here in the district did that and it had a lot of choices. And I think we still do. Um, I believe that in my time in this chair, my goal is to expand on that. And, and so one of the things that I saw that, that we could do was to create our, our opportunities for our students in the performing arts a few grades lower mm-hmm. so that that training age again i think training age is really important so if we can start them in the third and fourth grade instead of the sixth grade yeah um the that's two to three more years of training which and, and this is what usually happens i go and i perform in public with other people who've been playing longer i get embarrassed i put the instrument down yeah Right? Mm-hmm. I can't get this done. And instead of, you know, that, that work ethic of, okay, I'm gonna go back and be better. Um, it's like, they're so much better than me that I'm not going to take my instrument out yeah. of, you know, out of the case because I'll, I will be embarrassed. Yeah. And, and so, um, so we hope that we're going to be able to increase the training age 
of our students, which again, will give them more opportunities as they get older, um, which with those opportunities will give them exposure to a different world. And it might be something that they continue on to do um, even after they leave high school. Yeah. And I, I, I love all of that. And I think that's really important to know. And, um, you know, Canton City Schools is, is one of the few school districts in this area that does have a string program. And we're lucky enough to work with the strings instructor because she does work with the youth symphonies with us and she's amazing. But can you, I know we uh, only have a couple more things here. So can you tell our audience how can institutions like the Canton Symphony Orchestra and just the general public support at public education, support the Canton City Schools and just support the arts in their local school districts wherever they're at? Well, one, I think we need to put pressure on um, our, our, our folks in government to continue to fund education, to fund all parts of education, um, to make sure that it is about educating the whole child. And that I think that that's, uh, that's really important to, to talk to them about, hey, we want accountability, but we want accountability that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, we want accountability that allows the, the, the school district the, the flexibility to educate again that, that entire child, whether that that's social, that's emotionally, that's 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 artistically, right, athletically, that we have the ability to do that um, without being dinged or punished because some kids start later than than others. And I think that that's that's a real big push. Um, and also get involved, you know, get in, get involved, um, whether it's um, your time, whether it's helping to raise money. Like our students are going to need instruments. Um, we're going to have to do that. That's where the, the cost is. Um, um, and, and, and help us raise the type of money to, to do that. And then partnerships, um, like with the, the symphony, and, and we have to continue to build those partnerships. Um, I, I worked um, in Cleveland Heights, as you mentioned, and there was a, um, an organization there called Reaching Musical Heights or Reaching mm-hmm. Heights. And, and that organization put together a tremendous event um, for our students to play, um, what's the hall in Cleveland? Severance Hall. Severance, Severance Hall. And, and it's amazing to see young kids, young vo- vocal, vocalists, um, instrumentalists, uh, just to play in that, that venue every, every year. And it was something that the kids worked really hard for. But what I what I saw there was a, a whole city approach to music, and and it was something. It was the first time my my eyes were open. I remember my getting across my desk as assistant superintendent a purchase order for like a, a ten thousand or eleven thousand dollars saxophone, and I was like, "Are you crazy?" And <laughs> and, and, and then um, my boss came in and said, um, "Okay, let's go take a trip to the high school music room," and we went to the high school music room. And there were four or five adults in there. Um, there were teachers coming in off who were who were in private practice and who came in to assist students with their sectionals so that, you know, because the teacher was not, um, you know, certified to teach at that level for that instrument. So they brought someone in off the street and no one was was offended by that. And everybody felt like, hey, we need to have this first class program um you know to to go up there we had a, a and this is something folks in star county might not understand but we our the football team made the playoffs for the first time in school history and had a game <laughs> on friday night which happens to be the opening night of the musical you know 
And, and, and coming from Star County, I was like, well, maybe we need to postpone the musical. And they were like, maybe we need to postpone the game. <laughs> and, right? and, and, the, and, the, and the game, and the game, the game went on, but the game had to start early and end early. Um, so we could have parking for the sold out musical. Right. Yeah. And, 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 and then you had football players who did the musical and, and everybody understood that arts were important and they were equally as important. And, 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 and that was a, a good three years for me. And I think that's changed how I developed as a leader to know that, Hey, um, we can engage so many kids if we will re if we build a robust arts program there, there are a lot of kids who will connect with school if we allow them to create music and and as i look back and i, I look at kids today whether it's um writing music writing songs um kids with the rap music writing lyrics um it's music is that 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 thing that connects everyone. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you go to college football practices now, there's music playing, mm -hmm. right? And there's a reason for that. And the coaches will tell you that. I don't know, they focus longer. But that's, a coach will tell you like, hey, they just focus longer. Yeah. Well, it, it's, there's, an, there's something about music and it's something that relates to everyone. And, and I think, again, if we can find those kids and find out what, what the way that we can connect with them to get them to see that, hey, I like school because school is where I get to do this and this. And, and I think music can do that. And, and so if we can create opportunities for kids again, and also create exposure to kids to a different lifestyle. Um, and if that is being in the orchestra, um, that's going to expose them to something that they normally wouldn't see growing up in the city of camp mm -hmm. and, and, and who knows what, what it can do for them in the future. Yeah. So our podcast is called Orchestrating Change, of course. So before we let you go, any final thoughts on how we orchestrate change going into the future? Well, I think we have to continue to work together. And I think that's the biggest part of, of change. Uh, when you go through that change process, understanding that you are going to wade out into the weeds and that when you get out into the weeds and you look behind you and you really can't see where you came from and you really can't see where you're going, um, you have to to have the courage to move forward. Um, and, and I think that that's um, what we have to do in the city is that right now we're at a place where, hey, we're, we're in a scary place. We really don't know um, what's ahead of us, but we know that what's behind us is someplace we really don't want to be. Mm -hmm. So we need to reach out, um, support one another, look for ways to connect with each other so that we can all be stronger and take that first step to move forward. So uh, I'm looking forward as superintendent here to continue to build partnerships. Um, it's a big job to, to, to educate all the students of the city of Canton, and it can't be done with one entity. Um, I think that this community has a lot of organizations who are willing to help, and we are looking forward to accepting that help. And then our biggest challenge is going to be, okay, how do we align all these different resources we have and, and get all the arrows going in the right direction um, and, and so that we can move forward and move forward successfully. Uh, thank you so much for being with us today and um i'm looking forward to doing stuff with the canton city schools i know we do some stuff already but i'm i'm ready to see how the symphony can can get in more classrooms and do even more stuff in the future but so thank you so much for being with us today well thanks for having me and i'm looking forward to it as well our intermediate buildings next year you will see the schedules are really set up we're designing the schedules so that time is there so so there will be time every day 
about 90 minutes every day that the kids have for exploratory arts yes. that's set up for that. And there will be after school programs. So the, 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 we have a complete, um, an empty, um, um, I'm looking for an artistic word, but we have a, a, <laughs> a, a palette that's right there. It's yeah. ready yeah. to be, be drawn on or painted on. So we're looking forward to bringing you guys in to help. Awesome. We've been speaking with Jeff Talbert, superintendent here at Canton City Schools. Orchestrating Change is a production of the Canton Symphony Orchestra. Our theme music was composed by Eric Gould and performed by Derek Snyder and Tim Adams. Our audio engineer is Nathan Maslick. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.